And I got a text message probably at two 30 from the mm-hmm. owner saying our yoga teacher, she can't make it today. Can you teach this class? And I instantly was so afraid. Right. I was like, Oh my God, I can't do it. I'm scared. Like, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't like know if I'm ready, etc. And I, and I stopped in my head and I was like, you said that you want to be a yoga teacher. Welcome to Full-Time Yoga Teacher Podcast. This is your host, Reka. Today, I'm going to share with all of you a conversation I had with Karen. And if you are a yoga practitioner or teacher living in Long Beach, California, you have probably heard of Karen before. Her classes are always packed. She was a Lululemon ambassador in the past. She is a mentor of mine as well as probably many other yoga teachers and she's somebody I always looked up to as a yoga teacher. She has been working, living a full-time yoga teacher for quite some years before I even became a yoga teacher and I remember when I first took her class at a studio. It was a heated vinyasa class and I loved her class so much and I asked her for an advice after class about how can I teach yoga at this studio and I think she said just do it and a few months later I also started working at the same studio that I took her first class at ever since then she's always been such an amazing role model as well as somebody I look up to and also I consider her my good friend whenever I have questions or I want to bounce ideas around or if I am in a very challenging situation that is related to yoga, Karen is somebody I would go to to speak to. And her guidance and her support as well as her advice always has been very, very helpful. So today I am very, very excited for you to listen to Karen and get to know Karen. Karen is a lover of all forms of movement and is passionate about helping people learn how to create a deeper connection with their bodies and minds. She has been teaching yoga in Long Beach, California for over 11 years and specializes in leading vinyasa classes that are challenging and dynamic while staying rooted in mindfulness. She hopes her classes inspire people to find more freedom in being themselves when her students step off of their mats and go back to their world, they have the confidence built from inside and out. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give you a heads up that there may be some explicit language used in this interview. So if you're listening in the company of little ones, you might want to save this episode for later. Now let's get started. Welcome, Karen, to Full-Time Yoga Teacher Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here, and thank you so much for taking time to being here and have this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. So, Karen, how long have you been teaching yoga? So, actually, 10 days ago, November 16th, was my official 11-year graduating from teacher training anniversary. Oh, God. Congratulations to your teacher, teacher treat your anniversary <laughs> 11 years that's amazing more than a decade yeah and what's funny is that I actually started teaching before I graduated from my teacher training so <laughs> technically it's been 11 years and one month <laughs> oh well I want to hear more about that teaching gig that you had before you graduated but 
Before we get started, um, where are you based out of and where are you logging in from? I live in Orange County in Seal Beach and uh, I teach in Long Beach, California. Mm. And what were you doing before you became a yoga teacher? What was your full-time job before? Well, it's an interesting story because... I had a very short-lived job before I became a yoga teacher. I was, well, first I was working at a hair salon and I actually worked in that industry for gosh, probably close to eight years, all the way up from receptionist to managing a salon, not actually doing hair, just sort of running all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was a client who was getting her hair done there that I'd interacted with for a while. And she actually headhunted me to work at her law firm as sort of like a receptionist slash Mm -hmm. legal assistant. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that for approximately three months before I decided to quit and do yoga teacher training. And were you already practicing yoga quite a bit uh, when you decided to do a teacher training? Yeah. So I started practicing in, gosh, I want to say 2008. Mm -hmm. And then I did my teacher training in 2012. So I I felt like I had a pretty consistent practice for about four years before I decided to dive into teacher training. But definitely when I went to this job at the law firm, Mm -hmm. I had no free time. My practice was like my asana practice, my in-studio. I want to be clear about that. My Mm in-studio asana practice was definitely close to non-existent or, you know, I'd be running out of work. So stressed, just trying to get to yoga because it made me feel so good. Mm -hmm. And when you first started practicing yoga, what kind of like what style of yoga were you practicing? So I actually went to a studio that's no longer around Yoga World in Long Beach. I don't know if you ever heard of that studio. And I I remember going to take a couple classes there. I really like all the props they had. Yeah. And the first class, well, I was very scared Mm -hmm. to go to my first yoga class, but I worked with someone at a hair salon in Long Beach who kind of, you know, encouraged me and said, Oh, I'll go with you. So the first class, gosh, I don't even know how to explain his class. So I believe he's still in Long Beach. He's a a chiropractor. Hmm. I don't know if he's teaching yoga anymore. His name is Dr. Alan Arnett. Uh And I would say maybe it was Hatha. Uh It definitely wasn't Vinyasa. There were a ton of props. Mm. We laid down a lot it was a very diverse age group just Mm -hmm. and people in general. And I remember, I remember him specifically saying Mulabanda like 20 times. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but that first class, I just think I wasn't intimidated anymore. Mm. You know, I think in my mind, I just had this idea that you had to be super spiritual and like flexible to go to yoga. And then Mm -hmm. I took that first class and I felt good. So then I, at the time was living in Huntington beach and there was a core power yoga by me. And I just started going there all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when did you like, when was it that sparked your interest that like, Hey, maybe I want to become a teacher. Well, I hated (laughs) like, Hmm, is that the right word? (laughs) Well, I very much disliked my job at the law firm. It was personal injury, which if you know, you know, it's just, it's a rough, it's a rough industry. And I felt very isolated and disconnected from myself. And I left the, the hair salon industry that I had been in for eight years to go to this law firm job. So at that point I had three months sort of like probation before they decided to take me on officially at the law firm. And when it was nearing those three months, I was thinking, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've moved on from 
the hair salon industry. Like, what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I just, if I wasn't working, I wanted to be at yoga, practicing yoga and just, you know, the thought of like, oh my gosh, wait, I could, I could teach it. Mm-hmm. And was it, um, was it the core power yoga teacher training that you did or what kind of teacher training did you end up finding and what format was it? Was it like a intensive one month? Was it every weekend? What kind of format of teacher training? Well, originally I was going to go through core power yoga and I don't know if you know, but they have been involved in a few lawsuits as far as, um, the way that they treat their teachers and pushing their teacher training and getting people enrolled to teacher training and giving them priority classes if they get their students to enroll in teacher training. So when I was there practicing, it was definitely like, do this teacher training. It's life-changing, make a career as a yoga teacher, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I, I spoke with a teacher there, but I felt, you know, for me, I had already been practicing for a while. Right. So it was super important to me. Mm-hmm. I know, you know me, so I just, I have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I just have a lot of questions about everything. I just question yeah. everything. I'm very inquisitive. So, you know, mm-hmm. I went to him and I just asked him all these questions and it just seemed like he did not have the time to answer any of these questions for me or really even cared about. It just seemed like my enrollment was more like monetary gain mm-hmm. and I just kind of got turned off. So I started Googling because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing is too, if you think about it, this was 11 years ago. Like there weren't even that many yoga studios around like there are now. It's so true. So I Googled yoga teacher training, Orange County. Mm-hmm. And then I think I found the Yoga Alliance website and I found my teacher whose name is Bryn. She has her own training school called True Flow Yoga. And I saw that she was teaching in Irvine. So I just went and took her class. And I had primarily been practicing at core power yoga, right? So hot, loud music, really crowded. Then I end up in this, well, and Bryn is smart flow trained, right? So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up in this yoga class and it was just so powerful and intelligent and embodied and, and mindful. I took, I took that one class from her and then I met her in the parking lot after because her studio that she was at, you know, she was like, you can't ask me about teacher training in my studio. Cause she does it on her own. I went into the parking lot and I was like, I want to do your training. <laughs> so you knew, you knew after that, that one class taking it from her, it's like, she, I want to learn from her. Yes. Yeah. And it was just so funny because she was like, well, why do you want to do the training? I just said, I want to teach yoga. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew I wanted to teach it. Wow, that's amazing. And well, I'm very curious about how because she was smart flow trained. And for those of you listening, smart flow is a method of yoga that Annie Carpenter developed. And Bryn, Karen's teacher, the first teacher for teacher training was smart flow trained. And what was it that like, what, how did you, how did, what's the difference you felt from the core power that you had experience with and, and even the Hatha class you took at Yoga World in Long Beach a long time ago? Like what, what, what about it from this, this particular class that you're like, this is it, this is a teacher I want to learn from? I would say first physicality. And Mm -hmm. I, and I don't even mean physicality in like, it's the most challenging class, Mm -hmm. right? It's definitely it's definitely challenging, Mm -hmm. but it's very, gosh, it's so hard to explain. I think I used the word embodied before. Like it's, you pay attention Mm -hmm. to everything. Mm -hmm. 
not just sort of the big broad things, not just your legs, but your outer thighs, your inner. I mean, it's just so funny because I feel like we have this language when we talk. We're like, take the top, take your top right thigh bone back in space, deepen your right hip crease. And for me, that really resonated. It gave my my brain something to to think about and focus on that helped me really Mm -hmm. connect to Mm -hmm. my own body and feel Mm -hmm. so empowered. Mm, and it, it I learned about myself right mm-hmm. I think that's why it's smart it's smart flow yeah. I feel like I was becoming more intelligent about the way in which I move my body and the way in which I interact with myself right yeah. on my map but then also in the world yeah oh my god that's like I loved I love hearing that because my teacher Annie Carpenter you know obviously teaches that way and I, I remember um thinking that like when I teach my class I want students to learn something about themselves like that's my goal is like learn something that maybe they haven't paid attention to yet in the past or you know something new something different and that sounds very much like smart flow class that you you took so that sounds amazing (laughs) and so you spoke to Bryn and said you want to join the teacher training and I know some teachers join teacher training thinking that they don't know if they want to become a teacher or they don't want to teach they just want to do a teacher training but it seems like for you you knew you wanted to become a teacher I totally did. And, and her training was small. It was only, gosh, I think we only had eight people, mm-hmm. which was another big thing that I was like, wow, I know I'm going to get a lot of time spent with just her learning. And I do think that there were other people in the teacher training who probably just wanted to learn more about yoga. But I think it's interesting because I believe where we're at now that those they really should be two separate things, at least in my opinion. I think that, you know, there should be some type of offering where people want to really deepen their practice. And then for people who want to teach, because I think it's just, you know, there's two different, there's two very different skill sets required there. And I, I believe, I think right now a 300 hour is probably what's sort of that bridge from whether you go to a 200 hour and want to teach or whether you want to just learn more about yourself. I think most people who do want to teach then go to do the 300 hour. Mm, I agree. I agree that it become almost two different trainings for somebody who want to deepen their yoga practice and somebody who want to become a teacher because there have to be a teaching practice teaching component in teacher training if you want to become a teacher. But people who are just wanting to deepen their practice, they don't, they might not care so much about this practice teaching part and like sequencing part, maybe. So I do agree. I have heard of one teacher training that they start everybody off in same, same curriculum, but at halfway point, you can make a decision to whether continue and finish the 200 hour and become a teacher. So like second half, there'll be a lot more practice teaching training involved. And then the first half is more about like, you know, philosophy, yamas and niyamas, and more about deepening your practice. And at halfway point, um, teacher gives students option to continue, or you can kind of end it here, but you're not going to become a teacher, which I think is kind of cool concept. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you started this teacher training. Was it, what kind of format was it? Like, did you quit your job when you started the teacher training? Um, How did you start the training? I did. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I was right at that three month point and they, they brought me in, like the lawyers brought me into their office and they essentially said that they really liked me and they wanted me to take on this, you know, job full time. And I kind of already knew in my mind that I was just going to, essentially, I spoke with my husband, Mm -hmm. Craig, and I was you know, I said, I have some money saved up from working at, cause you know, I went from working at a salon where I was making okay money, but then I went to go work at a law firm at the time. You know, I'm like, 
oh my God, I'm making so much money here. So I just took that money that I saved for three months. And I just said, would you support me at least for a short amount of time? Mm-hmm while I leave this job and focus fully on teacher training. Now I, I have to say, and I, gosh, I think I've said this in other podcast interviews before that is, I am, I was in such a privileged position to be able to do that. Right. I don't think that that is the reality for most people. They have to work while they do their teacher training. I was not working while I did probably about half of my teacher training. And then I ended up getting a a desk job at a bar studio, which is where I ended up teaching my first yoga class before I was actually graduated from my training. So it's funny how that all works out. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So how, what was the uh, format of this teacher training? How long was it? It was three months, maybe a little bit longer than that. And it was Tuesday, Thursday nights from six, I want to say until nine. And then it was most of all day Saturday and most of all day Sunday. Mm, I see. And uh, you, you were going into this teacher training thinking like after I graduate, I'm going to start earning my, you know, income money through teacher uh, being a teacher. Yes. I had no idea how I was going to do that, but that was my thought. Yes. No, I like that because that's how I, that was my expectation for myself when I went to teacher training. But I also realized that wasn't everybody's um, expectation. A lot of people weren't sure. Some people, you know, already had a full-time job. So I don't think, I felt like I was almost eager to like, graduate like I'm gonna start teaching right away like I need to you know uh, also gain experience but I also need to start making money right away and you know I feel like I may probably grew fast as a teacher because I really like pushed myself and put myself out there from the get-go it seems like oh well let's get there so after you graduated and you did start teaching a class before you even graduated um, how was that transition of like graduating to start teaching oh I was on my shit I was hustling immediately Mm -hmm. And I think I had a really good opportunity because what happened was I was working the desk at this bar studio and the owner knew that I was going through my teacher training. They had a teacher there that was teaching a yoga class every Sunday afternoon at four o'clock. It was just like a random one-off class. You know, they had carpet in the studio and bars, et cetera. And I got a text message probably at two 30 from the mm-hmm. owner saying our yoga teacher, she can't make it today. Can you teach this class? And I instantly was so afraid. Right. I was like, Oh my God, I can't do it. I'm scared. Like, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't like know if I'm ready, etc. And I, and I stopped in my head and I was like, bitch, <laughs> you said that you want to be a yoga teacher. You are having an, a literal opportunity handed to you. And you're going to say no, because you're afraid or because you don't think you're good enough. So I had to say yes, because it was exactly what I wanted. So I said yes to that one class. And then I just started teaching that class at that studio. And that's kind of where I met people, some of who I still know today, who still take my class today. That's amazing. So you just went in and at this point, when you just went in and start teaching, how far were you in the teacher training? Like, did they already teach you like how to teach by that time? Yes. Yeah. I remember I wrote a sequence. I remember I remember my peak pose was like revolved half moon or something like, come on. I really had to pick something that complicated to teach to people who gosh, have never done yoga before. <laughs> but it's interesting because even when I teach sequencing now, I tend to use revolved half moon as a peak pose because I think there's a lot of regressions. So it can be sort of an easy quote unquote pose to regress and put a, a sequence together for. And uh, so you started teaching once a week at this place while you're 
completing and finishing your teacher training. And let's kind of fast forward to finishing, graduating. How did it go from graduating, having one class a week to, you know, when you start really teaching full time or teaching as like your primary source of income? It's interesting how it happens because you think back on it and it's, it's almost every class that you teach, every interaction you have with someone, it kind of leads up to you getting more classes. And at the time you don't really realize it, but I truly was not saying no to anything. I was saying yes to teaching on every holiday. I remember, I think at one point I taught like on Craig's birthday and he was like, you're leaving me on my birthday to go teach because some CrossFit studio asked me to teach them a stretch slash yoga class. I really said yes to everything. One of the first like actual teaching jobs I got was at a tiny little spa right down the street from me where someone was already teaching who graduated through my same teacher training like a year before. So that was kind of my like hookup to that. And then after that, I met someone at who's teaching at the bar studio who taught at a Pilates studio. And then they were thinking about having yoga there. So I started teaching yoga there. So I really was anything that was being asked of me, I was saying yes to to get experience, right? Because gosh, how do you get better at teaching? You got to teach. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Were you, were you teaching now that thinking back to it, is there any places you have taught that um, made you realize like, this is not where or who I want to teach? Like, I feel like more places and weird places I said yes to, I realized like, I love this and I don't want this. Like I started to know which direction I want to keep pursuing as a teacher because I've tried so many different ones. I think for me, I taught so many different people and got, this is like maybe a separate conversation we can have at some point, but I always tell people who are asking about going into teacher training that there's really kind of two paths that you can take. I mean, there's more than that, but there's two sort of obvious paths. You can go through a studio that already has a built-in clientele. Like let's say for example, raw yoga, where we both teach at, Mm -hmm. you do their teacher training. You come out of their teacher training, you go and become a practice form teacher at their studio. Mm -hmm. And then maybe eventually you get on the schedule and you are teaching to most likely people who've already practiced yoga before and sort of know all the yoga rules, generally how to move their body. Mm -hmm. Or like the path that I took is you go through a separate teacher training. You're not really plugged into any community and you just teach whoever Mm -hmm. wants to be taught yoga to. The good news is, is that it strengthened my skills. And then it also showed me where my blind spots were in my education right away. Mm. I mean, I was teaching to women that were 70 years old. I'm, I'm trying to get them to do side plank. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to even teach the version of side plank with the knee down mm-hmm. at that point. So not sort of having that built in yoga community, these people coming to my class who really knew how to do yoga, quote unquote, helped me a lot because even teaching people who were doing CrossFit, I asked them to do Urdhva Hastasana and their traps were so big that they couldn't even reach their arms overhead. (laughs) So I think, like you said, there were places where I was like, yeah, I don't know if I see myself teaching here in the long term, but boy, did I learn. (laughs) Did I learn that I didn't know a lot and that I needed to do more training? Yeah. Oh, and then let's, I want to get to 
different kind of trainings that you got into next. But I want to also ask kind of want, going back to when you told your husband that, hey, I want to do I want to really pursue this yoga thing. I'm going to do teacher training. I'm going to quit this really good, you know, paying job that I have. What what was his response? I feel like my entire family when I took this law firm job was like, oh, good for you. But they all knew that it wasn't going to last. <laughs> Working in a hair salon, the hours are, you know, not bad. And you're they're always, they're usually always closed Sunday and Monday. So I kind of had like a non-traditional schedule, which at the time worked because Craig manages a restaurant, right? So he is never home at night. I had this job at the law firm. I would get home at 5 PM. He would be gone. Mm -hmm. We would never see each other. Mm -hmm. I think he could tell that I was unhappy. Mm -hmm. And one of our first dates was a core power yoga. I would make him come. I would make him come to a level three class with me. And he didn't even know how to do yoga. People do not do that to your boyfriend slash day. Don't do it. <laughs> but he was, he was very, he was very supportive. Yeah. Very, very yeah. supportive. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had that. Mm, I love to hear that. One more question I have is besides him, like people in your life, friends, family, what were their response like when you started pursuing yoga as a, like a job more than just a hobby that you enjoy doing, but as a job, I asked that because I received a lot of people were not supportive of me trying to pursue yoga, teacher training and wanting to become a teacher and wanting to pursue that as my full time main thing. A lot of people really told me that I need to get a real job. When are you going to, you know, how much longer are you going to do this? Is this really going to be enough? Are you going to really make it? Why don't you do that? Why don't you, do, you know, so I received a lot of that in the beginning of my teacher career. So how was your friends and family's um, response? I was just going to say exactly what you said, which is, I still believe a lot of people think that being a yoga teacher is not a real job. Mm. Meanwhile, we are out here working our asses off doing so much unpaid work. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I feel like still to this day, my dad doesn't think that what I do is like a real job. And, you know, he's old school. It's just, you're supposed to have a career, quote unquote, whatever that means. You know, I did, I did my last, this last retreat, which was my first yoga retreat recently that I hosted. And when I was telling my dad about it, he was, you know, so surprised. Wow. You really did that all on your own. Wow. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is my job. This is what I do. <laughs> or other people thought, <laughs> I think my best friend was like, oh, so you're going to be a hippie. <laughs> so you did also receive some um I guess I don't know discontentment from other people but you can you've pushed through like you kind of just like ignore that was there any point in time where you started to believe some of the things people said about like oh maybe I should pursue something else maybe I need a nine-to-five job I mean I feel like that now I, I feel like that I feel I feel like I feel like that on enough uh -huh. always uh -huh. because of this yoga industry, which is a whole separate conversation, but mm -hmm. keeping up with the Joneses, mm. keeping up with changing yoga trends, what's popular for me in particular, as I get older, I wonder about teaching in the heat as mm. much as I do and how there aren't even that many non-heated yoga studios anymore. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So, and sometimes I fantasize. <laughs> this is so funny. It depends on what part of my cycle I'm in. <laughs> but if I'm in luteal, it's not a good, it's not a good time. Sometimes 
sometimes I fantasize about just having a job where I go in and be so mindless, just mm-hmm. turn off my brain. Mm-hmm. But I would never not do what I do now. It's the most meaningful and most important thing to me. But it is, it is, it is hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure it is. We'll definitely get more into that. Let's first talk about what you said after finishing 200, you realized you needed more training. And what happened after that? So pretty quickly, I realized that I didn't know. I don't know if this happens happened to you. And it, I think it still happens to me. And I, I know it happens to a lot of teachers. A lot of people who are injured, their doctors just tell them to go to yoga, right? They just tell them to, they don't even tell them what kind of yoga. So you have people showing up to your yoga class and they're severely injured. Mm -hmm. And that was the first thing that, that (laughs) it's just so funny. I remember in my teacher training, I asked my teacher, well, what if they have this going on? She told me, you can't know everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I would teach and I would have people tell me they had slip discs and they have bursitis in their shoulder. You know, they're asking me, what am I supposed to do? And I just felt clueless. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And that's what led me to, which I think for me was the thing that really sort of solidified me feeling confident as a teacher was when I went and did the yoga therapy level one program at Loyola Marymount, which was just anatomy upon anatomy upon anatomy. Mm, I I love that you actually like, cause you know, you could have done like, oh, weekend anatomy workshop or like this little, you know, online training, but you actually like went and did a yoga therapy level one program at LMU, you know, that's, that's, you know, bigger deal, like more investment, time, effort. How long was the program? It was a year. Mm, Yeah. And how did you learn enough in a way that you felt a lot more comfortable after graduating from that program? Oh, I learned the name of almost every muscle in the body. (laughs) I don't know all of them. I would really have to brush up, but still sometimes I'm thinking about the hamstring, semi-tendinosis, semi-membranosis, all these types of things. But a 200 hour is like a dip. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gosh, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things that I, that I try to explain to people who want to become a teacher and go, go into a 200 hour is that it's, that's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. You have to keep educating yourself if you want to be a successful yoga teacher, if you want to be able to grow and if you want to be able to evolve, you have to keep educating yourself. And that's also a financial commitment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once I got out of that, that program, I felt like, okay, I understand what the shoulder blades are doing in down, downward facing dog. I understand flexion. I understand extension. I understand what the legs are doing in Virabhadrasana too, what muscles are engaged, what needs to be strengthened. And you do learn that in your 200 hour, but you're also learning everything. (laughs) So to really focus on that helped me feel so confident as a teacher. Then I could look out into the room and see people in these poses. And for me, have a better understanding of what's happening in their bodies. Cause of course we don't really know what's happening in in someone's body because we're not having that lived experience, but Mm -hmm. It helped me understand teaching exponentially better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What made you stop at level one? Did you ever want to continue into level two? I remember that question you asked earlier where you were like, what avenue would you not go down? Continuing through the program leads you into an internship at a clinic where Mm -hmm. you then eventually work in a hospital setting. And I just knew that I didn't want to work in that setting yeah yeah, uh uh-huh that makes sense but level one was um it seems like very comprehensive like you you learned a lot of knowledge 
from the level one. Um, I guess level two is maybe more practical, like going into internship role in hospitals and clinics. I want to say there's four levels. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's been a while. I'm sure they've changed their, their syllabus. Uh I want to say level two is more mental health, Mm -hmm. but I could be totally wrong. I haven't looked at what they're teaching in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So how, how long did you wait before, um, completing your 200 hour and then pursuing the level one, um, the yoga therapy program? I want to say it was maybe two years at the most. Okay. Yeah. Well, that two years were you teaching full-time mostly? I, so shortly after I did my yoga teacher training and I was teaching, I was still working at the bar studio and then I did a training at the bar studio. So I started teaching bar. So really I was teaching half yoga and half bar. I I didn't go into full-time teaching yoga right away. And I mean, to be clear, I don't actually full-time teach yoga. I teach yoga lattes and, and I consider yoga lattes to me, it's a workout class. It's, it's a Pilates class. There's maybe some aspects of mindfulness, but I wouldn't say that that's like a yoga class that I'm teaching, but I was teaching yoga and I was teaching bar. And I was kind of at that point where I was thinking about how I could teach more yoga and sort of diversify myself and and grow as a teacher. And there was a teacher who was teaching at purple yoga at the time. Her name's Devin. Wait, was it Devin? Yeah, it was Devin who was like, Hey, I'm going to do this training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should do it too. And I looked into it. Once I read what it was about, I was in right away. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So you had kind of two years of teaching under your belt before you went into the um, level one yoga therapy program. After the, and you were teaching throughout the whole year of the training, right? So that's what I was going to say was really amazing about this format. It was one weekend a month for a year, Uh one Saturday and Sunday all day. And I mean, from eight to eight, Mm -hmm. but it, I could teach almost the whole time. I just had to miss one weekend of classes a month, which felt very doable to me. Yeah. And you get to like apply things you're learning into the classes you're teaching um, as you are you know, progressing in the course. So that sounds really cool. Yeah. But Leslie Kamenoff would always say, <laughs> <laughs> don't immediately take what I'm teaching you and go teach it. You need to take time to absorb it. You need to understand it. Don't just come out and parrot it. And I feel like I always, I, I keep that with me. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good, good advice for sure. We want to like first feel it and embody it in our own body and our own practice, maybe like our self-practice before actually bringing it out to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. So after your yoga therapy program, where where do you go after that? I want to say that I started teaching at this studio. I'm trying to think. I'm I'm telling you, I've taught every place in this area, (laughs) I want to say, which you really get to know what you align with. Mm -hmm. I started teaching at the studio in Huntington called my own yoga home. I never liked the name of it, but Mm -hmm. it's fine. And I would say that that was really the first studio I taught at where I felt like I was becoming a little more like myself as a teacher. Mm. Oh, actually, I take that back. I taught at a studio called Harmony and I taught flow. I taught flow there, very slow flow. And I taught yin and gentle sometimes. And it was a, it was an amazing studio. I met small group, same women every single week. And, you know, I would do chaturanga with them, but it, and these women were, I don't, I don't know, in their fifties, 
they were just so grateful that I was there to teach them. They were just, they wanted to take in anything I would teach them. They were just happy to move their bodies. And I really developed these like close relationships with them. And I felt like I could kind of be more of myself. I think I share this a lot, but when I first started teaching, I felt like I needed to have this teacher persona. Mm. I needed to come off as very spiritual. And I needed to Mm. talk like this when I was teaching my classes so that people would take me seriously as a yoga teacher. So at that point, a harmony and then harmony closed. Then I went over to my own yoga home, which was a little bit more power yoga. And they wanted like a cooler playlist. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like I was getting to explore more of these sides of myself that I, that I liked, mm-hmm. that I related to. And class pass was just up and coming mm-hmm. there. And I was actually, I don't even know what year that was. I have it saved somewhere. I was voted best yoga teacher on class pass oh, <laughs> in oh. Orange County. <laughs> I want to say it was maybe 2015, mm-hmm. but then that place closed. Then I went over to hard yoga on Huntington beach and hard yoga. I went over to yoga 108 and then yoga 108. I went over to raw, but definitely at my own yoga home. That's when I started teaching full-time. I was teaching maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you said that's when you started teaching more full-time, how long did it take from your first graduating 200? to that point where you felt like you're teaching more, more oh. or less of the time? Well, 2012 to 2015, so maybe three, three, three-ish years. And do you think it took you about three years to feel confident in your teaching? Like you feel like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing to a certain extent. Like when, oh, yeah. when did you start to feel that confidence? Yeah, I would say probably at about that time. Yeah. And you were doing a lot of continuing education in between then. And I think too, it, it took me finding spaces that let me teach as myself instead of really micromanaging the way that I teach mm-hmm. that helped me become a better teacher. It was, it was difficult to work at, at some of the places I worked at where they were very nitpicky about mm-hmm. the things that I said, the way that I taught. And it's so interesting because I think we talked about this recently where I was telling you about, uh, a new teacher who went to a studio who gave a cue that was anatomically correct. And the studio owner yelled at them and said that they were wrong, What? but she's a new teacher. Right. So yeah. she felt weird telling them actually what you're saying is anatomically incorrect. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's hard when you're new, mm-hmm. you feel like you have to do what other people want you to do, to mm-hmm. be popular, to please the studio owner, to get good class times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think for me, my, me too, like when I was new, it took, I just wanted to like, please everyone, please my students, please the studio owners. I just wanted to be liked and I wanted to offer the classes I thought they wanted me to, yep. teach, you know, and, but I, there's, I don't know when I had to really think about it, but it came a point where I just didn't care anymore. I want to teach what I felt and believed is what I wanted to teach whether people like that teaching style or not. I just wanted to only teach what I, if resonated with me. And I don't remember exactly when I felt that way, but um, it seems like for you to, you had, you kind of crossed that path where like, okay, I want to teach what feels right to me, not really what other people want me to teach or what I think other people want me to teach, you know? Yeah. And that's when I felt like I became successful in whatever definition you want to use that in Mm. my classes got busier, you know, but when you teach what you know and what you love and what you authentically relate to when you're authentic, people are just drawn to that because 
because it's real. It's there's no fake. There's no bullshit. It's they they know that what you're teaching and speaking on is is coming from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said. And what do you think it took for you to get there? Like, what are some like recipe ingredients that helped you get to that point where you're like, I just want to teach what I feel aligned with? I really think the biggest thing that I said before is finding a studio that wants you to teach for you and doesn't put all these expectations on you. They're not micromanaging your behavior. Mm-hmm. That for me was the biggest, the biggest thing that I think really helped me become who I am as a teacher now is just having support from the people who employ you. Mm-hmm. That's important. For sure. Do kind of changing gears. Was there at what point were you teaching the most like classes and how many classes per week were you teaching? And what were the like least amount of classes you were teaching? Like, I guess, like what would average week look like for teach full time yoga teacher? How many classes a week are you teaching currently? What were the most number of classes you taught? And maybe like what's the sweet spot for you? So I'm at 10 now and I'm at 10 in studio classes Mm -hmm. and I will not go above that. Mm -hmm. 10 is my, that's my cutoff. Yeah. I I think at one point was teaching 16 to 18 and that was not sustainable, especially in the heat. Mm -hmm. And how did you find out like that 10 was your sweet spot? I think just knowing myself and understanding my energy and and having days off completely to do my own practice and reset and study <clears throat> and spend time with my husband and do the things that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, it got to a point where I was teaching so much. I had no days off. I, one of my ex- very firm, so I don't teach on Sundays anymore, but I taught on Sundays for probably eight years. Mm-hmm. I never had a Sunday off and it's, teaching on Sunday is it's like a special thing. You know, people are there because they really want to be there, right? It's Sunday. They're really grateful that you're there. The energy was always great. Post COVID, no more Sundays. Mm. And I will not teach a Sunday again. And then I also have Thursdays, mine and Craig's date night. And that's another day that I just don't teach. Mm -hmm. Those are my non-negotiables. Yeah. Well, now that you mentioned COVID, what before COVID teaching life versus now um, that, you know, everything's open back up, studios are full force open, it's full. How has your teaching changed, whether that's your schedule changing or maybe your business model or maybe your mindset changing? Was there any shift that happened for you before and after COVID in terms of your teaching career? I think so many of us, I feel like every teacher I know that I've talked to after COVID is refusing to burn themselves out anymore. We're all done. We're not doing it. (laughs) And that was, that was the realization that I had that I just wasn't going to go back and burn myself out and be like a, like a robot. You know, that, that Wednesday, 1030 class that I had that you now teach Mm-hmm. I picked up because I was like, oh, it's a good class time. It's a vinyasa class. Those are those are really hard to come by. They don't give vinyasa classes to anyone. But I had already had a rule for myself that I broke that I don't teach two back-to-back 100 degree classes because I'm tired. It burns me out. Mm-hmm. And I picked up that class and I was tired. I would get to that class and I was like a robot. And for me, 
there's one place that I will always be in, in integrity as a teacher, which is that I will, I refuse to not be present when I'm teaching. Now, I know that we're all human, right? So there are some days that I have shit going on and I have to just come in there and teach it. And I'm not, I'm not at my best. That's normal. But if, if I have a choice, I'm not going to teach so many classes. And again, this is a privilege for me because I don't have to teach that many classes to support myself in that way, because I am married, but I don't want to get to that point where I'm just going in there like a robot and saying the same thing at the beginning and saying the same thing at the end and just going through the poses because that doesn't even feel like yoga to me. <laughs> if, I, if I'm not walking and talking and living it, it kind of feels like I'm being a fraud teaching yeah. it. Yeah, I know. I love that you said that because I think people can tell that you're very there. You're present when you're teaching it. You're too much. Probably I scare them. (laughs) And I think we all have been in a yoga class where you can feel that teachers are just doing autopilot, like their cueings, the words they say, the things they say to open the class, close the class. Like we I think we can tell when teachers or their heart is not in it anymore. And, you know, they could be just overworked. Maybe they're busy. They have a lot of stuff going on in their life. So it's not to say it's their fault. But I think for you to say, like, I want to bring my full self and, you know, my attention and my whole heart to each class that you teach. I think that's amazing. How did you figure out? I want to know other ones you might have, like all this non-negotiable. You said no two heated classes in a row. And you said you don't teach on Sunday and Thursday anymore. Is there any other rules you have as a yoga teacher and how did you um, come to them? I'm trying to think if there's any other things. If you think of it, you can just let me know when you think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I do do two back-to-back classes, I prefer to have the less heated one before the more heated one. I'm just weirdly sensitive. I don't like to be covered in sweat and then have to go right into a yin class. I don't love that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that you know, the classes are set up in a way that doesn't really give us enough time in between classes. It's like, you got to fit in as many classes as a studio can make money from, yet we don't get enough time to even reintegrate ourselves before we just go into another room of 40 people. Yeah, I that's so, that's so true. And teaching uh, heated classes, you mentioned a couple of times, but heated classes is quite... Um, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of it's a lot on your body especially if you teach more than once once a day and especially if it's in a row it's very taxing on your body and energy for sure um I have another question now you said you you said about 10 classes a week studio classes is like perfect number for you besides teaching group classes at a studio what are other form of teachings or that you have currently or you have had in the past so corporate classes on site once a week teaching corporate classes, you know, wellness for the employees um, Mm -hmm. at their jobs. I also do sort of like a lot of one off. We're having an event, like a mindfulness event at our office. We want you to come and teach privates. I don't have any regular privates right now. I had some pre COVID Mm-hmm. And I, I really haven't even advertised mm-hmm. having any availability for those um, recently. My challenge was I had a hard time getting people to be consistent. And again, this is probably another conversation, but I think part of it was that I wasn't having people make a commitment. I was just letting them buy like one private instead of having them purchase a package, which has to be used over a certain amount of time. So that would be something that I would need to revisit 
mm-hmm. if I decided to go dive back into teaching privates again. And do you enjoy private? I do with people that I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do with people that I know. Mm-hmm. I I have also had or referrals, right? Mm-hmm. But strangers, not in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And how I, I can already feel everybody asking in their mind or their head, how do you find these corporate jobs? How have you found private in the past? How have you found um, these wellness events that you have done in the past? Like, how do you find these opportunities? From referrals from people who take my group classes. Mm. That's the thing. I feel like a lot of teachers, when they teach for a longer amount of time, they want to get out of teaching group classes, which I get it, right? You're still working for someone else. You're still at the mercy of people paying for a yoga studio membership and they still want specific certain things out of you. Mm. But every referral that I've gotten for every private, I feel like in every corporate class has been through someone who's either taken my class or they ask their friend who's taken my class mm-hmm. if they knew if they knew someone who could teach a private class of, for their bachelorette party, mm-hmm. for their friend's birthday, for their wellness event. Mm-hmm. It's all come from teaching group class, all of it. As far back as when I was teaching yoga at the bar studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, connections huge. Mm-hmm. I've heard of many teachers trying to do cold calls or emailing the HR of different company to see if they can they you know offer yoga at their you know workspace. But I feel like most people that I know who have corporate yoga job is always, almost always, I would say like 95 to 99%, it's always referral or the connection they had or, you know, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually the case too for me whenever I hear. And for myself as well, my corporate opportunity came because I knew somebody who worked for that company. Yeah. My yeah. my ongoing corporate class that I have now is actually through a friend of mine who is a yoga teacher who taught there for years and years and years. And then she moved away mm. and the class ended. And then randomly I got an email probably about two years ago and they were like, hey, remember when you subbed for us in 2018? we would love to have you come teach. So it's every opportunity. Now I don't say yes to everything anymore, but every opportunity that you do say yes to, if you feel like it aligns to you, it it definitely has the possibility to open another door later down the road, even if it's years later. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And you just never know what kind of impression you're leaving to somebody. It could be your coworkers. It could be a friend of a friend. It's, it's so important to, I don't know, I guess as a, professional like to be professional being on time and you know being kind just like little things like that because you never know where that person's connection can lead you to a job opportunity in the future yeah yeah 100 so if you had to were you are you able to fully support yourself financially through teaching yoga full-time you know i could it would be a struggle financially at this point now i'm i could easily pick up more classes i could easily pack my schedule with classes and be totally able to support myself financially but i would be very tired and i probably wouldn't be as good of a teacher mm, i hear that or um, i would have to get a part-time job like i could do it mm. but you know rent here mm-hmm. it's so expensive mm-hmm. it would yeah. be rough it would be it, the hardest part would be finding a place if i was living on my own like i would have to have if i had a roommate I, it was doable if i was living on my own i don't it would be pretty much impossible to have my own place I yeah, think. Yeah. It's very expensive to live in Southern California. Got to share the rent. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> when I was, I mean, I'm, I'm still full time, but before I moved in with my partner, I always had a roommate, not roommate, but I would shared apartment or house with other people. And that was the only way I could do it. Even now, now I share rent with my partner. So yeah. On my own, having my own apartment would be really tough in LA. Um, yeah. Impossible. <laughs> and now that looking back to your teaching journey and um, what are some mistakes that you have made along the way that helped you to be who you are today? And what are some like things that you learned along the way that you want to like kind of share this wisdom to newer teachers who are thinking about becoming a full-time teacher or who want to kind of explore that idea? Don't compromise who you are for money. Now, again, I, I I say that because I'm in a place where I don't have to do that, right? But I fully recognize that there are some people who may have to teach at a studio where they don't necessarily agree with the actions of the studio owners. But at that point, that amount of money that they're making there is what's supporting them, right? So they just can't easily sort of leave. Mm -hmm. But yeah, don't compromise your morals. Watch for people trying to take advantage of you. The amount of unpaid labor that I think, and that was something that I did for a while. And some of it I brought on a upon myself. I would be working at a studio and I would see things that I thought, you know, could be done better. So I would start helping or doing them for free. And then I would end up being frustrated or resentful of the studio, Mm -hmm. even though I took on the, the responsibility of -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, I always tell myself this, not my circus, not my monkeys, not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm there to be present and teach my class and show up for the people that come into my class. And that's where it has to stop. Mm. Now I just consciously try to invest my time and energy in places that I feel like I'm aligned with, mm-hmm. but you know, if you can choose to do that, don't compromise. Mm. That's so important. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I also do know sometimes you might have to be in a space that you may not fully align with for financial reasons, whatever, but, um, I think as that resentment and the feeling of like frustration because you don't maybe ethically or morally align with the studio or people you work for, that is just going to keep growing. And I think, you know, give yourself some timeline to see if you can find different opportunities. Yeah. And it's so hard too, because it's like you have this feeling of resentfulness, but then you also have this amazing connection to the people that you're teaching. Mm -hmm. So my thought process would always be like, okay, this environment is so toxic, but these people need me. Like I'm almost in a weird, like egoy way, but also just not wanting to leave these people because you've been teaching them and, and you have this beautiful relationship with them. But is that, you know, I think like you said, over time, you just know that it's not going to work out. I think we talked about this. Someone sent me a Ted talk and it was very profound. It was saying that people who are introspective, they often, when they're in conflict or they're trying to figure something out, they ask themselves the question, why, 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 but doesn't really have an answer to it. The question is what? So when I would find myself in a situation or a studio that I was working at and I was unhappy, I would ask myself, what is it? that I need to happen? What is it that I need from this particular teaching situation that is going to make me feel happy to teach there or, you know, okay, morally to teach there. Mm -hmm. And if the answer was not something that could be changed, then I knew that at that point it was time for me to exit. Mm, I love that. And I think you have asked me that question before when I came to (laughs) you. 
<laughs> ask questions and get advice. Um, so those of you who's listening, Karen's like my mentor. So if I go to her when I have a challenging situation, but I think you have asked me that same question. It's like, can you do anything? And you knew the answer, didn't you? <laughs> okay, I knew what to do. Uh, and um, I, can I can I yeah. say one more thing too? Because this is on a completely different side of a coin. But if you do want to teach too, I don't rush it. Right? It's like a this is like a a lifelong, ever evolving practice. Mm-hmm. It's you can't know everything, um, and you're not going to be good at everything right away. You have to practice to get better at it. And teach, gosh, teach what you know. Teach what you're connected to. Teach what resonates with you instead of what's cool, what's hip, what's fun, what's hard. Teach, teach what's in your heart and and your soul, and your people will will find you. Mm, I love that. I love that. And the more you learn, the less you feel like you know. (laughs) Like I feel like so much of this is is a process of unlearning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I was talking the other day about this, um, this path of being a yoga teacher, there's a beginning path where you just feel like you don't know anything. I'm like, Oh, my God, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm horrible at it, which, you know, in the beginning, you're not going to be great at it right away, right? And then they come to stage, like you get comfortable, maybe you've done a couple of continuing education, and you reach this time where you feel like you know it all. Everything. Like, I know everything. This is wrong. This is right. This is how it must be. This is alignment. This is the only alignment that, you know, everybody should follow. And then more and more you learn and you gain experience and life experience. I feel like we kind of go back to like, actually, I don't know anything. And a lot of your answers start to become, it depends. Maybe it could be this way or it could be this way, you know? (laughs) Yes. And it's so funny because I think students, I I always have to, when I give them that answer, which is all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Someone the other day asked me, she was in down dog. She had her leg lifted. Her knee was bent. She was leaning into it. People call it like scorpion dog, whatever. Mm -hmm. She said, where do I look? Where do I look in that pose? She said, I've been told that I'm supposed to look under my whatever shoulder. I said, well, where do you like to look? What feels good? was my answer. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be dismissive, but that was the answer. Yeah. Yeah. What feels good for you? Uh No, you know, in a class, if I have some type of specific like intention where I'm having people rotate their cervical spine, then I might have them look a particular way, but yeah, it's, it really is. There was a point where I was so strict about Mm -hmm. alignment and yeah, I've just gone, you, you start to go the other way. And I feel like when you actually pay attention to a lot of these senior teachers who's been teaching for decades and decades and decades, a lot of them, their answer is, I don't know, or it depends, you know, like they're, they're not dogmatic about it. Um, people who have been doing this for a long time. So yeah, they've changed the way that they teach. And I think that's the thing you have to invest in. If you really want to teach, if you really want to teach full full time, you have to invest in continuing education. You cannot skip that because the thing is, is that it's the way in which we learn about bodies is always changing. Mm-hmm. I've said things that I'm embarrassed that I, you know, I was one of those pull your shoulder blades down your back, relax your shoulders when your arms are overhead. And when you take your arms overhead, your shoulder blades widen and go upwards. But it's, you know, we all yelled that at everyone. It was, everyone needed to relax their shoulders. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And when I go to a new person's class and they say something like that, I never sit in judgment of them. They just don't know better. So we don't know until we become, we don't know better until we become aware of it, but we have to make that choice to be 
to be willing to become more of a, aware of it. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's our duty as teachers. Yeah, I agree percent to continue learning. And I think I also see the flip side of this is when somebody is so determined for continuing education, continuing education, they might have like five different 300 hours under their belt and like, you know, 100 different training they have done, but they're, they haven't really done a lot of teaching yet. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're never ready to teach because it's like, oh, I need this training. I need to do more this. Day. I need another 300 before they can teach and they just never feel ready. So there's another side of that coin of like, but you also have to like put yourself out there and just like yes. it's going to be bad in the beginning. And that's how we learn. That's the only way we're going to get good is just like practice, 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 do it over and over and over again. I have taught at so many studios and so many different spaces and so many different people. And I have made so many mistakes and I have said so many wrong things and I have learned and I have unlearned so much, but I really feel like all the struggles that I've gone through teaching have helped me become a good teacher. Mm. I can just refine my language, my cueing, everything, Mm. the way that I live my life in the world. Like it's, it's all, it's all yoga. Mm. That brings me to my almost, I think, final question is, how do you apply yoga into your day-to-day life off the mat? And we kind of touched on how like there's sometimes expectations um, people might put on us because we're a yoga teacher that we must be this spiritual being and we must, maybe we don't get mad and we never get in fights or, you know, which is so far from truth. But how have you found yoga off the mat? I feel like this is such a hard question to answer. Well, it happens like this. I know I said this earlier, but you know, one of the main sort of things for me is that yoga is very much a a means of self-discovery or or knowing myself. And this relationship that I have with myself, like it's not just happening in a yoga studio or on my mat, right? It's happening in my entire life. And the way in which I know myself, the relationship that I have with myself, it's how I can also know and relate to others. It's how I interact with myself and then also with the world. So I am always consciously trying to move away from the space of feeling like I need to go and do yoga that in every choice that I make and every step that I take, right. And every like moment that I live my life, I am embodying yoga, being aware, being mindful, not creating harm to the best of my ability, being truthful, even being on time, right? Like to me, non-stealing. Like I'm not stealing other people's time in when I teach and and also in my life. With that being said, I'm a human being (laughs) and I'm not perfect. So I'm doing the best that I can. I'm always aware. I'm always paying attention and I'm always very transparent that I am not a perfect person and that I don't need to be on a, a, a pedestal as a, as a yoga teacher. I don't even know if that answered the question at all, but (laughs) I try to have integrity and I Mm -hmm. feel like I've been pretty good at that. And I feel like people come to me because they know that I'm going to tell them the truth. Yeah. And I feel like that's very much an honor that people think of me in that way. And I'm proud of myself because I've walked in that path and it it hasn't been easy, but that's, what's important to me. And I think that's part of yoga. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm not the end all be all of yoga. I can't even really give you like a succinct definition of yoga, but yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think integrity is definitely the word that comes to me when I think of you as a person, as a teacher, I think integrity is 
definitely a word that describes you. And I think people see that and, you know, people love you for that. And people really, um, you know, like you said, they appreciate that they're going to get the truth. If you, they ask you for advice or feedback or something, you, you'll say the truth and you are going to stand in your truth, um, strong and firm. So I really appreciate that about you. And I really appreciate our friendship that we have developed over the years. And I really do, um, look up to you a lot and any like all that advice and the time you have given me to like talk about yoga teacher related stuff I always 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 appreciate it so I'm so I'm so glad that I know you and that we have an opportunity to talk to each other in this way because I do think that a lot of the times it feels like as yoga teachers we're kind of like floating in a sea like you're saying you're like people don't who who do they have to ask these questions to Mm -hmm. about this kind of stuff. Like I had, an, you know, you had a weird interaction with someone. It's like, who do you go to in this capacity? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so hard. We have to try to be here and support each other. Yeah, definitely. I think supporting each other, we're not competing amongst each other, but really. No, yes. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. Is there any last um, words or I don't know, advice you want to share? Anything else that you would like to end with before I ask you how people can find you? I feel like I, I feel like I said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that for anyone who's thinking about teaching that, like trying to think of the right words. <laughs> I feel like I said it earlier, but teach what's relevant to you. Teach what you know, teach, really teach what's in your heart. I think it can be so difficult. You and I talk about this all the time. I I still feel I've been teaching for so long. I still feel pressure to be harder, faster, to have cooler playlists, to post more on Instagram, to be able to do a handstand, which I don't handstand and I probably never will. And it's totally fine. It, your ability to do any of that doesn't make you a good or bad yoga teacher. I think one of the most beautiful things about this practice is that you don't have to even be quote unquote, good at yoga to be good at yoga. (laughs) You just have to be willing to show up for yourself and your willingness to show up for yourself will inspire other people to do the same. The way in which you show up for yourself, the way in which you walk your path without even having to post all about it on the internet or make a big deal about it. The way in which you embody this practice is what's going to inspire people to do the same. And that's just what a gift, what a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's my short answer. I feel like um, I I see that in you, you are walking that path and you're like, you know, you're living it, you're living your yoga. And I hope and, you know, I also know that other people can see that through. So thank you. Thank you for being you. And also, like when I first started teaching, I remember you were one of the first yoga teachers that I was like looked up to and like, how do you (laughs) You know, so it's amazing to know that maybe like that was eight years ago, eight years in, you're still teaching, you're still teaching. Full time. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, like, I think longer you teach, less people you started out with aren't no longer teaching. So it's nice to know that we're, we're still here. We're still doing what we love and we're still sharing yoga. So I love that. Thank you. Is there anywhere, um, anything you'd like to share in terms of 
how people can find you, whether that's your social website. Um, is there anything coming up for you that you would like to share with the audience? Don't find me. I don't want to be known. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram, but I actually deleted Instagram off my phone. Oh, a couple months ago. Wow. Maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. I don't miss it. I go every so often to check on my computer, mm-hmm. but I felt that it was taking away from me being present. I was compulsively like just clicking on it without even really thinking about it. So I am on there as sodium soul because I really like salty snacks. <laughs> I do not have anything exciting coming up. It's the end of the year. My birthday's in December. I definitely will offer some things in January. I think with a lot of new people coming into the studio, I feel like I want to offer some intro to some things. I think it's hard when we teach these group classes with 40 people, people have questions. You can't get to everyone. So I want to put myself out there a little bit more workshop-ish mm-hmm. next year. Maybe you and I can do something together, but yeah, I'm on Instagram. You can find me at raw yoga in long beach and club studio in long beach. Otherwise I'm just around doing my thing. (laughs) Thank you. I'll definitely put a link to your Instagram on the show notes. And thank you Karen so much for taking your time to chat with me today. It was super um, inspirational and also super informative. And I, I really do think the listeners will find all the wisdoms you share to be very helpful. Thank you, Reka. Thank you. I hope you were excited and inspired by the conversation that Karen and I had. As of this podcast episode being released on January of 2024, Karen does have exciting offering coming up that I want to share here on this podcast. On February 3rd, she is leading a workshop on heart opening. She's going to be teaching a backbending workshop with co-teacher Johnny. And this is at Ra Yoga Long Beach, February 3rd. And all the proceeds from this workshop will be donated to a nonprofit organization called Precious Life Shelter. Another exciting offering that Karen has going on is she is leading another yoga retreat with Darren. This retreat will be in Temecula from May 17th until 20th. So if you are interested in in taking Karen's class or just joining in on a workshop or maybe going on a retreat with her, you can find her information on the show notes of this episode and you can always reach out to her by Instagram. I hope you enjoy this conversation and I will speak to you next week.